Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers, and we remain in the 16th century, this all-important century in the history of the Catholic Church, a century that provides for us so many rich figures to reflect upon, and certainly this week we have another great figure, um, a most fascinating figure in St. John of Avila. Now, do not confuse him with St. John of the Cross or St. John of God. These are uh, two other men we will be talking about at a later date. No, this is St. John of Avila, who has a very unique story, and a story that we certainly will talk about this evening, and I will do this with John O'Hara. So, John, great to have you with me another evening. No place I'd rather be on a Monday evening, Joe. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, John, one of the things that first struck me was, well, we have another doctor of the Church, and... Up to 2012, when he was declared uh, doctor of the church, he was widely unknown. In point of fact, I remember being on air and being asked the question, who is St. John of Avila, right? Because like I just said, everyone just thought he was St. John of the Cross. You hear St. John of Avila and you think, oh, that's St. John of the Cross, or for that matter, St. John of God not another man. And while he was not only another man, he was a very unique man. And why proclaim him doctor of the church? Why would Benedict XVI in 2012 proclaim him doctor of the church? Well, I think you have to go back to 2011, when he first announced that St. John of Avila was to become a doctor of the church, because he was addressing priests and seminarians at the World Youth Day in Spain. Why do I bring that up? Well, in 2008, he proclaimed uh, a year for St. Paul. In 2009, he proclaimed a year for priests. And so in 2011, he continues to develop this theme that focuses in on not only Christ crucified, as he did with the year of St. Paul, but also the priesthood. We have to remember, John, this is all still coming on the heels of the priestly scandal, not only here in the United States, but in 2010, 11, and 12, it was amped up in Ireland. And so he was really focusing in on the formation of the priests. And St. John of Avila is one of those great saints that we have in the history of our faith that remind us what a holy priest is all about. Because St. John of God himself said when he was here on earth, it is not enough to just be a good priest. We must be holy priests striving for greatness. Greatness, in his words, in Christ crucified. Now, he is a doctor of the church, so he did have some very rich writings that focused in on certainly chastity, virginal chastity, but also the other um, key elements for uh, a good a holy priest. And so Benedict XVI says, we're going to proclaim him doctor of the church. And in so doing, and in so doing, 
draw our attention to this man who we can learn from, not only in his writing for sure, but also in his life. Because as we have noted on more than one occasion, John, when you talk about doctors of the church, it is just not about the, the eminence of their doctrine, but also the sanctity of their life that precedes the doctrine. As Benedict had said four or five years ago, and Pope Francis has certainly echoed, all good theology starts on bending knee. My reaction was similar to yours a little bit, not as sophisticated, but St. John of Avila, Benedict XVI, who is St. John of Avila? <laughs> yes. I had no idea. Uh, and, and he still is uh, obscure to many Catholics, and mm-hmm. I must say uh, I am no expert at all about him. A few dates about his life may be helpful. He was born in 1499. And he was born to a well-to-do parents again. Mm-hmm. Now, his father was a Jewish converso. And so he was a Jewish a gentleman who converted to Catholicism. That was common in Spain at this time. And those people had a little bit of a social stigma attached to them. John of the Cross, another saint we'll do later on, his father was also a converso. And you had to be a little careful if you came from a family like this, even if the family had money, which... Uh, uh, St. John of Avila's family did. And his mother was Catalina Sixon, and they were a wealthy couple. And uh, when they died, he inherited the money, and he gave it away to the poor. Mm-hmm. Now, he was a bright young man, and he went to the University of Salamanca at the age of 14 years old, but dropped out after two years. And he went into a life of poverty. So we're talking about 16, 17 years old, going into a life of not in a religious order, but kind of like voluntary poverty, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to live, I think, almost a hermit-type life. Yeah. After this, a, a Franciscan encouraged him to go back to the university, which he did, and he earned a bachelor's degree, and then he left the university. Then in 1526, he was ordained, and about that time, his parents died, and he donated the inheritance, as I said before, and he had a great devotion to celebrating the Mass, and this was apparent when he said the Mass. He also was quite a good preacher and a very good catechist, and he had a desire to go into the mission world, and he went to the city of Seville. I I believe he lived most of his life in the southern part of Spain. Spain is kind of like the shape of a square. He would be in the southern third, and he went to Seville. He was awaiting shipment to the the missionary lands, and he was giving talks, and he became quite well-known. And the Bishop of Seville said, I don't want you to go to the missions. I want you to stay here in Seville and become a diocesan priest. Mm -hmm. And he was. And he remained a diocesan priest all of his life, or for the remainder of his life. And he was very instrumental in promoting vocations. And he was uh, the founder of a university, I think it was Baeza, B-A-E-Z-A. And he founded this around 1538. And it was largely for seminarians. And he encouraged a lot of men to come into this seminary. And he was quite helpful to the Jesuits. I think, he, I think he was responsible for about 30 men coming in and joining the Jesuits mm-hmm. there in that, in that area. We're going back a few years in his life. He went into a house with other priests, and there he met uh, the sister of one of these priests, and he was giving very good homilies, and, and she said, you should start to write some of these down. And he did. Mm-hmm. And he gave it a Spanish name, which is Listen, O Daughter. And he was writing that book for the remainder of his life. Mm-hmm. So if you wish to get his... Uh, books, you would probably go to Amazon.com and, and look up John of St. John of Avila, and Listen, O Daughter would be the name of the book. It's, I think, six volumes long right now. 
But he was a, a deep spiritual writer and an excellent uh, homilist, and he lived the example. And just to, another thing to throw out, this was Spain's golden age mm-hmm. and uh, this entire 16th century. And uh, he was part of that. And there was a lot of saints that came out of Spain at this time, as you mentioned, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, and he was there, and he mm-hmm. was just part of that environment. And he, I guess we all take not only our own biography, but the biography of the times and societies we live in, mm-hmm. which, and, and he did that. He died in uh, 1569, at the age of 69, and about 1551 he began to become ill. So he lived for quite a long time, I and mean, we're talking about 18 years, with an illness of some sort. I don't know what, but he kept plugging along. Yeah. And, uh, good for him, and he eventually succumbed. He's buried in a, a Jesuit church, I think it's called the Incarnation, in, uh, I think it's in Cordoba, Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. work, um, Listen, O Daughter, John, initially started out as a series of letters he was writing to his spiritual uh, directee, huh? But after she had passed away is when he continued to add to that, which uh, is why it expanded to be six volumes, <laughs> as you mentioned. Yeah, uh, we should mention that he was in prison for a couple of years because of his preaching. He was a priest when he was in prison. And the tone of the preaching that the authorities did not like is he seemed to preach, or they thought he preached, that rich people cannot get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Poverty is, uh, he, he did not preach that, but they thought he did. Mm-hmm. And he was imprisoned for that. And uh, they read his writings and talked to him and interviewed him. And after, I think, almost two years, they let him out of prison. But he suffered all of this in humility. And it's interesting. Humility is a tricky, tricky virtue. <laughs> what does a humble person look like? Not someone who just goes around beating his breast. There's mm-hmm. something much more substantial to it. Mm-hmm. And whatever mm-hmm. it was, he exhibited it in his personal persona. You know, this isn't the first time that we've seen a saint being unjustly imprisoned. No. And um, how can we not think of Job? Because um, when we think of the unjust uh, suffering, we think of Job. Uh, That is suffering that uh, is allowed for a reason that we cannot explain. And yet here we have another figure that clearly is uh, imprisoned. He's suffering unjustly, yet he sees it as part of God's greater plan. He didn't do anything wrong. He was simply preaching Christ crucified in the end, because Christ himself was crucified unjustly. Yes. He had no business being on the cross. So for the likes of a St. John of Avila, he saw his imprisonment as a gift. What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. A gift to the extent that he was sharing in the mystery of Christ's own suffering. St. Francis of Assisi used to speak to this in the same way. Uh-huh. Huh? And you talk about what does humility look like? Humility looks like the acceptance of the cross, especially when it is something that we cannot control. Huh? Uh, John Paul II once said that acceptance is the first step of conversion because it is embracing the situation for what it is. Uh. Right? As difficult as that might be. You can resist it, but all you're doing in that resistance at times, certainly in in this case, uh, would be only creating more problems. So for St. John of Avila, he saw the need to accept this burden 
and ultimately to share in the great mystery of suffering. Mindful of Colossians 1.24 that talks about this dynamic of sharing in the mystery of Christ's suffering and offering it up to God for his greater use. You know, uh, you made me think a little bit. St. Francis of Assisi had a lot of people following him. And it's not because he got up on a stand and said, friends, Roman, and countrymen, let me yeah. in your ears. It was the way he lived his life. Yes, and, yes. But that is so key. Yeah, and it highlights something else about St. John of Avila. John, if there is a mark that St. John of Avila has left on the church, it's not so much of what you find in his writings. It is found in the people he was in contact with. He gave spiritual direction to St. Teresa of Avila. He mm-hmm. gave spiritual direction to St. Peter Alcantara. He gave spiritual direction to St. John of God. He gave spiritual direction to St. Francis Borgia. He gave spiritual direction to the 16th century giants, John. Including Ignatius, uh, <laughs> who founded the Jesuits, and including yes. John of the Cross. I mean, think about that. Yes. This man stands alone in church history for the men he impacted. Only, I dare say, Cardinal Newman could uh, rival wow. uh, St. John of Avila for the kind of people he impacted when you start looking at the global universal church. And again, before 2012, <laughs> we didn't know this man, right? It's so striking. When Pope Benedict announced him, Pope Benedict said one of the things he liked about him was his biblical commentary. Now that, if you read uh, Benedict XVI's writing, he knows a lot about the Bible and how a lot that goes he in is. Jesus of Nazareth series. Yeah. And a seminal think, biblical theologian. Yeah, and I yeah. think he, that, that aspect of uh, St. John of Avila impressed Benedict XVI. He was struck by the way in which he would draw out uh, the deeper spiritual truths of sacred Scripture. Because again, we must remember, he is a doctor of the Church, and we consider him uh, one of those spiritual masters mystical doctors of the church because of the way in which he illumined the core aspects of of our faith. All of that being said, John, I wanted to uh, get into something else here uh, that struck me personally, and that was the way in which he would reverence a question he got about the Christian and Catholic faith. What do I mean? He would never just respond off the cuff to a question. In fact, I have a quote here. Listen to what he has to say in regards to how to respond to a question and how we ought to listen attentively. The things of heaven are so lofty and so profound, so far above human understanding, that to be able to speak of them, the speaker himself must have come down from heaven. You see, he had a deep sense that every question had a very specific answer, and that answer could only be uh, spoken to if it was first steeped in prayer. This is why, by the way, while we have his Audifilia, um, his Listen, O Daughter, we have other works of his, which are basically letters, letters that were responses to questions he received. He would always start his letter with, apologizing for his tardiness, apologizing for the delay. And it wasn't so much because he was so busy, John. It wasn't because he was so distracted. No, it was because when he received the question, he felt the need to take it to prayer and to respond to it accordingly. So he had a deep reverence for the question. 
and personally, I have such a respect for that. Um, because as one who gets asked a lot of questions yes. every day, I find myself compelled to just be able to answer. But I have been reminded of late, John, to, in the spirit of St. John of Avila, say, you want to know what? Let me pray about that, um, if it's certainly something that needs to be prayed about. I mean, there are some questions, hey, Joe, where do you find this in Scripture? 1 Corinthians 2.9, you know, yeah. But these questions that he's talking about are the uh, more in-depth questions, those deeper spiritual questions. As I get asked some of those questions, John, I do find myself in the spirit of St. John of Avila retreating in prayer. And by the grace of God, may those answers come, come forth. And you mentioned uh, Blessed Cardinal Newman. He wrote a, a lot of letters. I mean, mm-hmm. almost every... I mean, mm-hmm. this is a pen and paper type letter. Mm-hmm. And God bless him, because that takes time and it takes thought. And, you know, he, he was responding to people with, I don't want to say questions they had, but certainly concerns or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I was speaking to one of your other women you have on the show, Debbie Rosales, and she was saying that she is very impressed with the Bishop of Oakland, who is a Jesuit and, yes. and the Bishop of Oakland. Yeah. I said, well, Debbie, what she knows this uh, bishop. She says, well, what is it about him that impresses you? And she says immediately, his humility. Hmm. And my question is, very interesting. I wish I could meet this guy so I could see a living example of someone she, because Debbie is a good Catholic woman, So I would see the example of what humility looks like mm-hmm. uh, you know that's a big big virtue yeah because from yeah. that humility grows a lot of other virtues well as it has been called the fountainhead of all other virtues yeah. uh-huh. right i mean the one thing about humility john that i always think about is the humble person is never concerned about protecting the false self mm-hmm. so the humble person is always rooted in that all-important virtue of truthfulness being true to who you are and nothing more. You see yourself as what? A child of God and nothing more, right? And you accept the gifts that God has given you, and at the same time, um, all of those things that you need to work on, and nothing more. It's the nothing more for me that really embodies the virtue of humility, because if we can enter into that, then we've taken the first step. We've crossed that threshold, John, of why it really is the fountainhead of all other virtues. Because again, I mentioned earlier in this radio program, if acceptance is the first step to conversion, then it must be done with humility. Um, Those two are kind of in lockstep with one another. And certainly those two virtues, um, dispositions of acceptance and humility is what embodies this man. Something you spoke to earlier, John, I wanted to highlight as we're talking about this, And that is the way in which he saw God working providentially through other people. You had talked about when he was a hermit and this Franciscan came up to him. Yeah, the Franciscan came up to him and said, you have too many gifts to be a hermit. Mm -hmm. He was 16 years old and he's like, oh, okay, so I'll go and study. Um, It was on his heart to become a missionary priest as a Jesuit. And his bishop said, no, you are going to be a diocesan priest. He saw that as a providential gift from God the Father speaking through the bishop. Okay, I'm supposed to be a diocesan priest. Um, And how grateful we should be for that, because, John, when you start talking about those evangelical councils of poverty, 
chastity and obedience, we always tie it to a Franciscan, a Jesuit, a Dominican, so on and so forth. We rarely, if ever, tie it to a diocesan priest. Okay, we have St. John Vianney. But let us include in this discussion St. John of Avila. So he becomes a model for all diocesan priests. Now, a diocesan priest does not take those vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience the same way a religious does, okay? Um, most notably, of course, poverty. A diocesan priest does not take the vow of poverty like the religious does. But what he did want the other diocesan priests to see is the importance of poverty. There's a great story of uh, him walking through his local town, and he sees another diocesan priest dressed nice and with a whole bunch of people following him. And he says, uh, Senor, Senor, excuse me. And the priest turns around and he sees St. John of Avila and he says, he says, you know, the ruffle in your dress will confuse your sheep. Ooh, ooh, ooh. does that sound like Pope Francis? <laughs> <laughs> and it very much does. And what's so striking about this, as the story is told, that Senor, that <laughs> priest, that father, changed his ways. There on the spot, there on the spot, changed his ways after St. John of Avila explained to him why he understood why he needed to, quote-unquote, change his dress. You see, everything that we're talking about right now, John, goes back to the earmark of his spirituality, which again is Christ crucified. This was always at the heart of his preaching. You talked about his devotion uh, to the Mass his piety from which he would celebrate the Mass. People were drawn to that. Why? According to the words of St. John of Avila, not because of what they see in me, because of what they see in Christ as Christ is working through me. It was all about Christ crucified for him. This is uh, why when you see a picture of St. John of the Cross, he is holding up the crucifix. That is the major portrait, the number one portrait of St. John of Avila. Interesting, he attracted attention because of the devotion with which he said Mass. Interesting. I've been to Mass a lot of times, and it's the best prayer in the Church. Source and Um, summit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. But for for this priest to say it with devotion that attracted the people in the pews, that that, that attracted my attention. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, Just a a little aside, uh, back during the awful scandal. Cardinal Law lived in a huge mansion, and it was advised that he'd better give up that mansion. If he doesn't, it's going to be taken over by people who were suing him, which, Mm -hmm. in fact, it was. Mm -hmm. The current bishop, who is a Franciscan of Boston, lives in a small apartment house Mm -hmm. some miles away. Cardinal O'Malley? Yeah, Cardinal Mm -hmm. O'Malley. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And because you were talking about you'll confuse your sheep. With yeah. your fancy uh, yeah. cassock. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a bottom-line thing, really. This was um, something that came to fruition right after Pope Francis was elected. Um, he was calling out all of these bishops and priests who were living in these million-dollar mansions. Yes. Um, of course, the stories that made the news with some of these bishops in Germany, he was calling them out. Oh, that was something, yes. It, it's just a bottom-line thing. You either are a man of poverty or you're not or you're a man espousing towards poverty, or you're not. Once again, John, this was imbued in the spirituality of St. John of Avila. I want to make one more point, John, as we're wrapping up here, uh, and it, it goes back to this 
this aspect of holiness. You know, earlier I talked about St. Teresa of Avila and, and St. Pilar Cantara and John of God and, and St. Francis Borgia. Those last two, St. John of God and St. Francis Borgia, they converted to Catholicism later in life. And soon after they converted to Catholicism, they sought St. John of Avila out. Interesting. You see, word gets around <laughs> about different people. We see this today. Hey, who should I go to for a spiritual director? Oh, you want to go see Father so-and-so, or uh, this priest, that bishop. And why do we say that? Because, well, their holiness, or their insight, their wisdom. St. John of Avila was that man in southern Spain. He is the patron saint for diocesan priests in the country of Spain, and there's a reason why. Because he was sought out for wisdom. He was sought out for that deeper insight. Why? Because he was a man who was deeply rooted in Christ crucified. He was a man who lived it, who preached it, and who honored it everywhere he went. Good point. When I took the Catholic Church a lot more seriously than I had in my youth, I knew about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I knew a lot of the doctrine of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But it was the writings of St. Therese of Lisieux mm. that got to my heart on how does a Catholic behave. Mm. And I think that if I hadn't run into someone like St. John of Avila, that would have been the deal. How do you behave as a serious Catholic man? Mm. I mean, yeah, we, you know, go deeper than mm -hmm. the doctrine. I mean, mm -hmm. doctrine's great, it's important, and uh, we wouldn't be here without it. But there's uh, the doctrine is underpinned mm -hmm. by the example and holiness of Christ and his message. Yeah. Because Christ's message had not only a message, but it had Christ behind it. Yeah, one of the things that has come through John, just not in John Paul II and Benedict XVI, but also in Pope Francis, is that when we talk about orthodoxy, it's never to be reduced to just obedience to the magisterium or obedience to a certain doctrine. That is part of what makes up um, dynamic orthodoxy, but it is also to include a spiritual orthodoxy, huh? a social orthodoxy, which basically means what? That there are many aspects of our faith that we are called to be obedient to. It's just not the spiritual works of mercy. There's also the corporal works of mercy. It's just not the corporal works of mercy. There's also the spiritual works of mercy. Every aspect of our life should be mutually illuminating. It's, yes, doctrine, but in light of the sanctity in life. It's sanctity of life, yes, in light of doctrine. Yeah. You see, that's the essence Ex of this yeah. man and the essence of what we should hopefully begin to be understanding at this point as we've been going through these great Christian thinkers. Yes. That all goes together. Your doctrine, your spiritual life, and your ability to, shall we say, evangelize. Be an example of it in whatever way you can. Amen. And I'm looking up at the clock, John, and we are out of time. Let's go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.